episode, the first before the glory. This is a little mini show slash podcast that I'll do where I pick a topic each episode and kind of uh, go in on that topic and into how ultimately God is glorified in that topic or how we can as uh, believers glorify God with such a thing. I will be on here with my viewpoints, what I've uh, taken to be a biblical Christian viewpoint, but I'll have guests who may not reflect uh, those views as well and will engage in dialogue. And then uh, in conclusion, I'll, I'll point to Christ ultimately and point to uh, my worldview, the biblical perspective into how we uh, give glory to God and, and such things, such topics. Today's topic is a little deep, a little heavy. It's on grief. Um, now grief comes in I know a variety of forms, but it mostly revolves around loss. In this broken world, it's loss, whether it's um, the death of a loved one, um, be it a close family member or a spouse or a child, but also uh, grief centers around loss of a relationship. It could be just um, like a marriage, like what I faced, loss of a marriage, or loss of a friendship, a long-term friendship um, goes sour. Um, it can come in, in numerous ways. So we're gonna, gonna tackle that uh, grief, or tackle grief head on. Um, I wanna start with uh, a book recommendation. It's called A Grief Observed. It's by C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis was pivotal in me coming to the faith um, near Christianity. It was a big part of that. Having read that after getting a, a small Bible from the Gideons. This book is a little different for C.S. Lewis. It's not like his other works. It's almost like his journal entries in this. He initially put it out um, and didn't have his name on it, he had a pseudonym on it, um, because this book is essentially his reflections after losing his wife, uh, Joy Davidman, in 1960, and I believe the, the book finally came out in 61, um, but it's just him processing his grief as a believer, um, uh, uh, feeling, um, feeling a sense of loss in every aspect of his life. I just want to read a little bit from it. No one ever told me that grief felt like fear. I am not afraid. But the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It is so uninteresting. Yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me. Kind of gives us that feeling of grief um, when we face loss where uh, we don't want anything to do with the world, but we want the world to have something to do with us. Um, we want the world to see us in our devastation, um, see us in our, our pity and our, our, our sadness, which is not a bad thing. We want people there to console us, um, but we don't want to stay in that grief. And I think... That's why it's pivotal for people like C.S. Lewis, who did uh, his reflections. Um, for someone like me, who makes music, um, writes poetry, things like that, you got to have an outlet um, for the grief. But ultimately, it comes down to knowing um, the source we can run to in our grief. Um, and we'll get there. Um, this week, I have a guest, um, long-term friend, homie, <laughs> as we said back in the day, um, Michael Creel. Here to reflect on his grief and the process he went through uh, in losing his mom. Uh, a little bit about um, Mike and I's friendship. I can't remember the times before having Mike as a friend. I really only remember Mike always being a friend. 
Uh, so definitely a close bond. Uh, here I interviewed Mike um, about his, his grieving process. And we don't have the same perspectives, the same viewpoints, but I wanted to get, a, um, to get another taste of what it's like to go through grief and, and how he faced it. Uh, we've been friends since 06, 07, 15 years deep. Um, yeah, it's 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 crazy. It started uh, started running the mile, and you were walking. I decided, hey, I'm gonna walk next to this guy, and the rest is is history. Some good good decisions, some bad decisions, uh, a lot of life lessons. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. So, and I thought for the first topic, it's a deep topic. It's grief and loss, and I thought you know coming back to you, uh, what you've experienced with your your mom. Uh, so I know this will be painful, but hopefully cathartic too, yeah. in a way. Yeah. So my first question is, so describe your memories of the day your mom died, your initial feelings on that, and how you initially like processed that. So the day... Just that day. Yeah, yeah the, the day, earlier in the day, I would say, I want to say 4 or 5 o'clock. Um, not really set on the time, but she, at that time, she was doing home health. She was taking care of a... a gentleman who uh, was amputee, double amputee, he didn't have any legs. Um, and the day before I was at a yard sale and he was a wrestling fan. Uh, and they had a bunch, this dude had a whole table of wrestling shirts. Um, and I just bought the whole table for, for this gentleman um, who was a former serviceman and, and um, they were his size, it was just great. It was older wrestling shirts. So she was getting ready to go to work. Um, they were gonna go to Gypsy Hill Park and listen to music in the park. And she would take this gentleman. And uh, I remember her getting ready and she would always wait to the last minute to, to really do anything. She was always, you know, waiting till about the deadline. So she was waiting and she finally rushed to get ready. And, and I remember um, the bathroom was off the kitchen and she was dressed and everything. And, I remember sitting in the kitchen and she was sitting in the bathroom and kind of arm on the sink and just um, a week before she was in the hospital for chest pains and whatnot. At this point she'd already had two stents, um, possibly three, I don't recall. And I told her, I was like, look, you just need to chill out. You know, you need to start getting dressed earlier. Stop doing this last minute thing. Um, I remember asking her straight, you know, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I just need to catch my breath. Um, so she went on, uh, when she left, you know, I was sitting on the porch and she left, she, she walked by, she kind of tussled my hair and, uh, told me she loved me and she left. Okay. Well, then I go out to the shed I was staying in and she comes back with the gentleman that she had picked up that she was taking to the park. Um, and he wanted to show me he had one of the shirts on that I bought him. And it was a, I remember it was an undertaker shirt and uh, you know, he was showing me and, and all that, and I was like, that's cool, Charlie, you know, that's awesome. You know, go have fun, this and that, and then mom told me she loved me and drove off. Um, that was the last time I saw her. That was the last time I physically um, laid eyes on her. Even when I went to say my goodbye, she was, she was covered. Um, so then, fast forward throughout the day, um, I was, uh, they were doing music in the park and it was getting later and later. And I called her at one point because my air conditioner was leaking inside my shed. And, uh, you know, I, my shed was getting soaked over in the corner. Um, 
now. That, that was my room, by the way. When I say shed, it was kind of making it into like a little in-laws cottage, as, I think as they call it. And um, I called her, and I, I was, uh, you know, very frustrated. I was uh, irritated. I couldn't figure out, you know, I had to take this air conditioner out of the, you know, the hole we cut into the shed in the wall. I had to take it out. I was taken apart, and I couldn't figure out why I was leaking. And um, that was the last time I actually spoke to her and heard her voice. Um, as the night went on, it started getting later and later, and I kept calling her phone, calling her phone. I mean, we, I remember the feeling of anxiousness and uh, worry and, uh, you know, just almost obsessive, like calling her phone till she would answer. And it's like also knowing that something was wrong by the amount of time we were calling versus her not hearing from her. Um, then finally, uh, her then husband uh, picked up the phone and was saying that uh, they were on their way to the hospital. And that's all I remember. I believe there was more said, but I don't fully recall what that was. Um, and so, we waited and waited, waited, and then called some more, called, 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 nothing, constantly calling. It wasn't until um, he pulled up in the, the car that mom, you know, was buying. And I remember it was Will, Marshall, Christopher, myself, um, all out in the yard, I think, and then it was him, and the first words out of his mouth was, she didn't make it. Um, she didn't make it. So, I remember in that moment, the, the shock, the tightness of your chest, the, the faintness of breath, just the abhorrent shock of the situation of you know just that phrase she didn't make it um as i'm thinking back right now i could it, it's almost like when you see a car accident in a movie and it's like you know it's this devastating thing and this carnage and it's but they're showing it in slow motion and then they come out in slow motion and everything's moving fast and the car's tumbling but then you're seeing it in slow motion on the inside of it's almost like that, like everything was 100 miles per hour, but just slow at the same time. And uh, I remember Christopher took off inside the house up to his room. Um, I don't recall what Will did, but I told them I had to call Nana. So I went back into the shed, um, dove on my bed and cried for a minute and then called Nana. And it was 10, 40, 46, I believe, at night when I called her. Uh, when, when we found out, I probably found out around 10, 40. Um, and her, I told her, you know, she didn't make it. Um, she didn't, well, what's that, that mean? And she's, did she pass? Yes. Um, so, I remember distinctly her saying, oh God, no. Uh, just this 
outcry. Um, I don't recall the rest of the conversation with her, but I remember once that was over, I went searching for Christopher, who was still upstairs in his room. Uh, when I got to the top of the stairs in the house, uh, I met him with an embrace, and I remember him laying out this just moan of, um, just guttural moan of, no, mom, and, and you know, just embracing him, and, and us, both of us crying at that point, and, and just... completely stunned and, and heartbroken and uh, Will was outside. It almost like, um, one of my favorite lines is from Joel Ortiz, um, find a way to make it without you. We talk about his grandmother passing and he says, uh, the fam's together doing separate grieving. And that's almost like what it was because Christopher was, was at that time upstairs, and this is a little bit after the fact, was upstairs in his room Will was outside underneath a, a light that we had in the yard, and I was over behind the shed. Just uh, we were all kind of processing it and, and working through that shock. I think would be the best way to put that. It was like an out-of-body experience, sort of. Um, and then that would be the memory of of that day. That would be the memory that I have. And I remember the next morning. I don't remember what time I went to bed. I don't remember, you know, any of that. But I remember the next morning is the only time in my life that I literally woke up crying. I literally came out of a sleep. And, I mean, before I, I had any senses, I was awake, I was already crying. And, um, you know, that, that has stuck with me as well. Because um, I've never had that. That happened. I've been in some some ridiculous spots and going through some hard things, but um, yeah, that's the only time that's ever happened to me. Going forward from that, what was the hardest part of losing your mom and then trying to manage that sadness and that grief was the hardest part? Well, see, I think I was not in a normal position as most people that deal with grief because. I know most people who deal with that grief, you know, they have family around them. And while I had Christopher, I had Will who, who stepped up at that point. Um, you know, my grandmother who lived in Madison was um, in some aspects supportive. Um, but, you know, she was in the process of buying this house. She was still married. Uh, and, you know, he began to to drink, the house came his party house. You know, I watched mom's possessions be taken across the road sold and I couldn't do anything about it because the husband's the next of kin. So, um, you know, we fought to try to to save the house. I mean, there were fights going on in the house. Um, him coming after, I remember him coming after Will with a baseball bat, cutting the lights off. Um, I remember, you know, um, being in this, this shed, which really was a, uh, wooden car garage that had concrete slab floors and uh, no insulation or anything. It didn't have the two bay windows on each side. And uh, being in that in the middle of the winter uh, with no electric, no heat, uh, kerosene heater is all you had, uh, all that we had. And um, 
you know, the, uh, if you wanted something warm to eat, uh, you wouldn't even get it hot. You, we had a cooler with sandwich meat and, and, you know, things of that sort, water in it, in the shed. And, uh, you'd pull it out, you'd make your sandwich and you put it on a pan on top of the kerosene here. And, you know, 45 minutes, it would be lukewarm because if you've ever been around kerosene here, the heat comes from the sides, not the top. Um, so, uh, so I didn't really have that normal period of time to breathe, you know, I, um, I feel like, you know, there was kind of the breakdown period, um, much later than what it initially would have been had I not had to deal with all these you know, then finding a place to live because we couldn't save the mortgage on the house because if we would continue paying the mortgage since they were married, he had one third rights to the land and there's no way, you know, we could have tried to buy him out, but that wasn't going to happen because he had a fun house there. He could do whatever he wanted to. Um, and there's nothing we could do. I remember one week and it was a common occurrence. The cops were there eight times in one week, you know, for, you know, fighting in the yard i remember distinctively you cannot I, I i cannot stress um the realism that is this it sounds like something from a movie but i remember there's a patch of woods behind the house and um you know i distinctly remember uh christopher will and i outside working on a generator that uh april spence who i was dating at the time dad let me use to try to get some lights for the shed so we would be able to use a little um, you know, griddle or something like that, or we would have some sort of heat and um, trying to get that to work. And a guy literally comes out from behind the woods behind the house and goes, uh, is Butch here? And, you know, he, he's showing up for the party. Literally, came, you heard the phrase come out of the work. He literally came out of the woods looking for a party. And then 40 minutes later, the police were there because they were fighting in the front yard. Um, I remember a police officer telling me, okay, now mind you, at this point, I'm 22, no, 23, and let's see, she passed at 14, I'm 28 today, so, yeah, so, and we're trying to hold on to everything we can to moms, we're trying to maintain the house, trying to figure out a way to get him uh, out of the house so we can continue buying this house that that she wanted um, and trying to you know her things are coming up missing trying to hold on to what we can and you know the police are out there so very often because you know he's making threats and this and that and I remember one of the officers told us one time uh, you know because we, we were trying to get him out of the house for safety reasons and, and you know, so we can continue purchasing this house. Remember the cop looked at me one time and told me, he goes, well, if I live with a snake and I get bit by that snake, it's kind of my fault for living with the snake. His exact words. And uh, I just, that never left me because it's kind of like, well, that's easy for you to say, but it's not a decision that we're actively making. You know, we're not... We're not calling you out here because we don't like you. We're calling you out here because there's concerns for our safety, um, you know. But 
it got to the point where they were frustrated with coming out. We were frustrated because there was nothing getting done. You know, he got picked up for a drunken public because he was in the middle of the road swearing and this and that. And then was back at the house two hours later. And it was just like, and the cop told us if he has to come out here again, he's going to arrest everybody. And it's just like, you know, it, it just seemed like every everywhere we turned, we were getting hit in the mouth. Um, you couldn't go in the house to do your clothes because he cut the lines on the washer uh, and the dryer for that matter. And if you wanted to shower, um, you had to wait till he was drunk or whoever. I mean, there was random people sleeping in the house. Um, wait till he was drunk or passed out so you could go get you a shower. Um, so yeah, it was just, so as far as me processing my grief, I had a multitude of things till I say she passed in August, on August 20th, 2014, I think all the drama and everything from homelessness to uh, ex-boyfriends from the girl I was seeing that, that got out of jail and caused issues and ran me out of my apartment and all this while I'm still trying to deal with the loss of my mother and my stepfather being a dick and, and um, just belligerent, um, for lack of better terms, from August 22, 2014 to probably May 28th the next year, which is my birthday, uh, is probably when this this weight, this boulder that, that you know I'm, I'm holding with a broken body because I'm mourning the loss of the only parent I've ever known, that this boulder finally starts to dissipate. It finally starts to to lighten, and then you know not even all at once then i started having those breakdowns by things you know i'd find um uh, her glasses her glasses case and i remember finding it and i opened it up and her glasses weren't there and seeing her glasses in my head as soon as i saw the glasses it just i snapped to seeing them on her face and that i remember sitting there for a good man 30 minutes, hour, just crying, just like, I mean, I think now they call it ugly crying, you know, just pouring everything out, you know, when I found out I had Sienna, um, which, you know, I'm kind of getting, going back a little bit, mom passed August 20th, 2014, Sienna was born, you know, September 25th, 2015. And so when I found out I had a daughter, um, you know, that, you know, I remember just completely bawling then. I remember, you know, that being one of the triggers because mom always wanted grandchildren. That was, that was her thing, you know, um, with the, the girlfriend I had for the better part of 10 years, you know, she was always like, when you gonna have some grandbabies? When you gonna have, make me a grandma? And um, things didn't work out with us, but, you know, now here I have this this child, this daughter. I've always wanted a daughter. I have this daughter, and now uh, she has passed. And I remember, kind of all over the place here, but I remember on the night that she passed, um, April Smith, who I was seeing at the time, you know, was my girlfriend. I remember she came over. Her dad had given her a ride over, and her dad uh, had lost his mom. April lost her grandma just a few months before. And the best piece of advice I got was, was from Timmy Smith, 
was don't go down that rabbit hole. Don't basically, don't think of everything, oh, well, what if, or she's going to miss, you know, she's going to miss her grandchildren, she's gonna miss me getting married, she's gonna miss Christopher having grandchildren, she's gonna miss, you know, all this stuff. And because at that point it comes a slippery slope. Because if you if I sit here and go, Well she's gonna miss me having kids Well then it goes, Well she's gonna miss those kids graduating. She's gonna miss so it's just it does no good. There's no benefit. There's really no you know, sometimes now I ponder, I'm like, man, you know, in a healthy aspect, I mean, man, I wish she was here to see this, you know. Um, but it's it's not dwelling on those those absences. How did it affect you in the worst way, like negative aspects that that's caused to spring up in you, and how has it affected you in a better way, caused you to grow, etc. So two sides of the coin there. Um, I think in the worst way would be the fact that excuse me, had a beard hair um, would be that it's still there uh, the wor worst way would be that it uh, it almost led to like a self-destruct mode at one point, you know, it almost because I am wild spirited I guess would be the way to do it, you know, I'm very hard headed and you know, um I'm just going to do things this way and, and this is how I see the benefit of it and a lot of times mom kept that at bay um, to the sense of even if it led to us having words you know she was very much like you know uh, you're not always going to get this how you want it done sometimes you're going to have to adapt um, and so it, it, it I hit a little bit of self-destruct mode um, I hit a little bit of Nothing to like drugs or anything or, you know, nothing major, but to me self-destruct mode in the sense of not taking care of myself, not um, staying consistent with my medications, um, not really paying the attention that I needed to to my mental health. Um, and I think that's where it had the most negative effect was on my mental health. Um, and, you know, of course, um, the negatives are those, uh, you know, like like her absence, you know, that's probably the biggest negative um, is I don't have that parent, you know, that um, I've literally had moments where, and I think anybody that's lost somebody that you have spent ample time with or somebody that you love or somebody that you're close to, uh, to where you know something happens you know you get promoted or you almost get in a car accident or no matter what it is something outside the normal routine and you want to you want to go tell that person you want you know it's just like who you talk to you want to be like you know hey you would never believe that this car pulled out and i've had that happen i've had that be like man i can't wait to tell my damn you know and then it's like you're putting yourself through that that trauma over again because you know it's like, oh, okay, you know, that's right, never mind. Um, so yeah, mental health was really a big shot that I took. Um, but that ties in with the positive aspect of it is, you know, I learned from, because I started having 
with that, that boulder I was talking about with the stepdad and the, the girlfriend's ex-boyfriend who got out of jail and was causing problems and being homeless. Uh, with, with that, I started having these um, brutal um, panic attacks. And, um, you know, to the point your chest is tight, you can't breathe. You know, I remember uh, like paranoia to the point of when I was in the shed, uh, just sitting down, I'd hear a noise outside the shed and I'd pop up and I was staring out the window or looking out the window or trying to figure out you know, who's out there, who, what, what's going on, what bad's about to happen. And you know, it, that's, that's the positive. While I suffered with it heavily during all that, I found out after the fact that you know, basically my whole life I've had anxiety and I didn't know. Because um, I always would have this unrealistic fear or worry over nothing. You know, it's like you, you make up these scenarios and it's like, you know, oh God, you know, what if, you know, what if I get in a car accident going to the store? You know, or like, you know, if Easter goes out to go to the store and, you know, uh, they're doing road work, so it takes a little while longer. And she's not back in the time in my head that I think she's, it's always like, oh my God, she could be in a car accident, she could be hurt, something could have happened, somebody could have, you know, whatever. So. You've been able to address that now. Yeah, yeah, now it's like, okay, I have a name with it. I, okay, this, I can process it. I'm on medication that helps with it. Uh, because I was diagnosed as, um, you know, uh, what do they call it? basically anxiety and depression and the depression I feel like I kind of knew about that was no big shock I mean especially with everything going on but the fact that when they go oh this is anxiety this is this is why you're having these panic attacks this is why you think like this this is why you know you're out in public and you're so self-conscious and you're making sure your fat's not sticking out or you don't have anything hanging from you like you know it's that's that's a good thing because it gave me that title. Uh, another good thing that I don't think a lot of people understand, they, they think it's kind of crass when I say it, is the relief when she passed is a good thing. Um, a lot of people don't get that. They don't, how can you have relief when you, your mom passed? You know, what? where is the relief? But it's like, you know, of course, you know, I want her here with me. We are greedy people, um, but it's, also, I don't have to worry about getting that phone call anymore because mom was always in and out of the hospital, at least later on in life. Um, you know, I'll give it to you straight. She was not good at self-care. She had stents put in, got a packet of stuff not to eat in that packet. I remember there was a hamburger and when she got out of the hospital, she went and got a hamburger. And she was not the epitome of self-care. Um, and so, there was always that in the hospital, chest pains, you know, issues with her diabetes. And, you know, I remember getting a call, you know, hey, I'm back in the hospital, I'm having chest pains, or, you know, I'm going to the hospital. And it, it got to the point, I think, that what also led to the shock the night that she passed is because she went to the hospital so frequently, not that it was an everyday thing, but at least twice a month, to the point it's like, okay, this is another trip, she's gonna be fine, she's gonna come out of it, you know, she needs to get her stuff together and whatnot, but it's, you know, um, 
you know, it's like, no, that didn't happen. That, that was the final trip. So it was also not having to, to wait it out. It was not a waiting game. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't fearful every time my phone rang type thing. Um, not that she was, she wasn't in the greatest help, but not that we were expecting her to pass. It was still very much a shock, but it wasn't, I didn't have to stress, oh God, here's another hospital trip. Oh God, you know, is this, you know, are they going to have to do another stint? Are they going to have to? So it offers some peace in, in that instance. Um, and, and the benefit with that also is everything that she instilled in me kind of makes a little bit more sense because I was 20s in my 20s living at home. Uh, did couldn't keep a job for nothing. I mean, mom paid everything. When she passed, I didn't know how to write a check. I didn't know how to pay a bill. I didn't know, I mean, really how to address the envelope. I didn't, I mean, it was, I was sheltered. I was, I was a, a punk, you know. I'd stay on the video game all day. Mom paid the rent and everything. I didn't, I didn't have a worry in the world. You know, I'd use her car when I need to do something. And, you know, so the positive of that is I had to get all this real world experience. You know, I had to learn, you know, how am I going to pay this bill? How to, okay, this is stay on top of my, my bills. This is what's coming out, balancing a budget, you know, all of that. Um, so it gave me that experience and it's really in having kids today, I find myself trying to take from the positives that she's instilled in me because while she was not a, an angel in any sense of the form, um, she, she would not, we did not go without, I'll put it that way, you know. Um, some of her beliefs, some of the way she acts, some of the things she did, I, I find confliction with, but it was always in our best interest when it came to, to us. We never went without. I remember her, you know, way, way back when I was younger, you know, before the new modern systems and stuff, we didn't have anything for dinner, and no, you know, money. She'd call up Pizza Hut and raise Cain until making them believe they ruined a pizza that we ordered last night. We never ordered pizza, but they would issue us one as a replacement just so we would have dinner. Um, not that I do that, but you know, just that mentality to provide for my kids and you know, make sure that they're not going without, but also make sure that. They don't end up like I did, 20-something living at home, no responsibilities. You know, no, that's that's not okay. You know, mom, she loved us to a fault in the sense of we were her boys. You know, we, we did no wrong um, to anybody else. Now, we did wrong to her. We got a whipping, as they say. But, you know, so I think that's really the positive is it kind of – it really solidified the the things that she instilled in me. It forced you to mature. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was like you know, like the old cliche sink or swim, and it was, you know, sinking was was really not an option because I had, you know, Christopher who, you know, I, I looked out for because he was not, um, really equipped to deal with the passing either, you know. Um, 
not that I was, but I was able to get my head around it and the sense of what, okay, what do we need to do here? What do, what do we do? And there were days where we literally didn't know where our dinner was coming from. You know, it, it happened, um, but you work through it. So it, it makes everything that much sweeter when you work for it. And that's what I can instill in my kids. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people connect with that story too, so I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, it's no problem. Being here for it. Um, so that I love you. I know people around you love you. And yeah. once you stay on top of your mental health, stay on top of that and just that's the goal. pray for you and just pray you continue to you know, continue to mature in that way. I appreciate okay. it. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't say, since we're talking about that, if we started this off with how long we'd be friends, been friends, uh, I remember we went through a spell where we didn't talk. We we branched off. We sure. went two different ways, and and that that's fine. Um, we both matured as people. And I remember being on that front porch the very next day. This is August twenty first, twenty fourteen. And uh, I think it was Will that handed me the phone. It was Will or Christopher handed me the phone, and I uh, said somebody wants to talk to you. And at that point, I'm kind of fielding calls from, from people to pay their respects and things like that. So I figured this is what it was. It was one of those cliche calls. Hey, I'm sorry. You know, if you need anything, let me know. And it was you. It was, you know, hey, Mike, it's seven. I remember, hey, Mike, it's seven. I'm sorry to hear about what happened with your mom. And I remember, if you, if you remember this call, Chime, I remember. Yeah, I do. I was outside. Yeah, I was on, I was on the front end. I remember just falling apart, you know, because. Yeah. That was such a, a bond, and I hadn't heard your voice in, man, I'm tearing up now, like, I hadn't heard your voice yeah. in a year, plus, two years, maybe more, you know, and, uh, so that meant a lot to me, and it was later that I found out that Jacob had reached out to you and told you what had happened, yeah. and, you know, you ventured a call, so, um, yeah, like I said, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about, you know, the, the guidance that was offered from, from you, because, you know, since Henley... Uh, I've looked up to you in the sense of, like, oh, okay, cool, he's into that, I'm going to get into that. Like, like older brother status, and so, especially with spirituality, you know, now that I've matured enough to where I feel like I can form a educated opinion as opposed to a juvenile one, yeah. um, you know, um, also with Easter, you know, being in my world and, and having that two... Um, devout believers uh, it, it's pulled me not pulled it because it, it's really my decision I, I feel no pressure in either way but it's led me to kind of open up myself a little yeah, bit we have to wrestle with the beliefs more yeah. instead of just like you said just yeah. throwing them off yeah and that's what it was it was just like shudding, shugger, shrugging it off and just whatever you know I, there's nothing up there type thing to where now it's just like you know working my way back to him is yeah. how I would put that so um and I know that's, that's and, not, and not to say anything good about you losing your mom or anything yeah. but it was that bridge for our relationship but also like you said for uh to wrestle with your spirituality it calls those two things yeah so. and that's that's another thing you know yeah. that's a big positive that, that came back out of that because I remember it was kind of the when we started talking again and, and working to hanging out it was almost this level of awkwardness because you know we had grown as people in two different I mean you had gotten married and and 
you had a child yeah. and you know I had really not done much I honestly I really hadn't done much um, but it was like you know okay shifting to where we reconnect we got back to that that pace to where where we were um, and another positive that came out now I'm thinking about this is um, Randy Creel you know the, I call him my dad he you know I carry his last name uh, he gave it to me and you know that's that's dad um, my relationship with him picked up a lot too because he reached out to me and we started talking at first it was like holidays like Christmas and New Year's and he would always reach out and see how I was and then um, you know it led to our relationship getting a lot better um, his wife Monica you know uh, going down there and meeting her and him seeing the you know his grandbabies as he calls them and to the point to where I know if there's anything I need I can reach out to him and, and he's there to help or, or guide me so a lot of relationships blossomed in the loss of one of my closest ones. Um, so it just, that kind of speaks to the, you know, cycle of life, kind of rebirth type thing because all these new relationships, or not new, but um, more fortified relationships came out of one of the closest ones, you know, my mother. So it, it just, it's really crazy how it works, and, and when you think about all that. Yeah, how the groundwork is laid through her. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, my prayer for Mike, for myself, for anybody out there watching this going through grief, is that you run to the source where there is no grief. Um, you run to the author of life, the one who is sovereign over everything, over our loss, and over our, our time of grief, the one who doesn't change, that's God. According to the scriptures, the Bible, 66 books, the Old and New Testament, the Lord says he's near to those who are crushed. In Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He wants us to run to him and to seek him to in our grief. It's not easy. The Lord says it's easy, but when you come to recognize that everything has a purpose, that your grief serves a greater purpose, it's to run to God source of endless joy and things get easier. Never, never stop missing a person, missing a relationship, uh, missing something uh, when you lose and when you're in that grief. But you get the joy, you get the hope, and you have the perseverance to carry on if you run to the source of life. Even go back um, to Revelation 21, uh, 4, when um, you know the scriptures talk of an open time where it's grief. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, these are believers. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Grief is temporary. Our pain is temporary. God is eternal. If our sights are set on God, if our hope is in Christ, we are also eternal. In a joyful manner, we will, we will come to to have a peace everlasting, even though it hurts now, in the future it won't anymore, there won't be any more tears. So that's my hope, that in your grief, you find a solid rock that is God, you lean into him, and he gives you that joy and that pleasure and, and that happiness that you're seeking despite the grief you're facing. To close, every week I like to, I like to have a book incorporated, um, something there, but I also like to have music, big music guy. Um, so I recommend an album um, from an artist who's definitely processing his grief. Um, Mike Shinoda's um, Post Traumatic is um, is definitely another experiment, like C.S. Lewis's uh, book, Grief Observance Experiment, and his grief and his sadness. This is the same from Shinoda. He's processing that. Um, I don't say he comes to uh, a sort of faith of anything like that, but he comes to an understanding that, okay, he has to carry on um, despite his grief, um, obviously, Shinoda's was the loss of um, his bandmate for many years and, and Chester Bennington. The music's good on here, lyrics are good. It's it's um, uh, sad at times, but it's also, you see his his kind of mountain climbs, his ups, his peaks, and then his valleys, his peaks and valleys as he's trying to, to wrestle through grief. So definitely recommend Mike Shinoda's post-traumatic album. Until next week, do it all for the glory.